0: Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 13. We're going to be joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at pjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going?
1: I'm doing great, John. I want to make sure everyone knows we're both VMware solution engineers looking to bring you the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. If you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey.
0: A journey to virtual enlightenment.
1: So let's take a trip.
0: Great. I'm, I'm just really still liking that entry, uh, Nick. How's that working for you?
1: I like it. Whoever said 13 was unlucky, they just don't know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, that's true. We've had no problems recording this episode at all. None. (laughs) All right, let's get to topics. Uh, Today we have a single topic. Um, We did an interview with Tom Delicati. Uh, We had a terrific conversation with him uh, starting with his career in IT and then discussing the process that went that he went through to start his own business. So we split that up into two episodes, uh, and this one is part one. And we're going to cover his career in IT. Uh, but first, I should say, Nick, that you and Tom are actually former colleagues, right?
1: Yes, sir. So Tom and I actually worked together for a period of about about eight years. So he started as my colleague, and eventually became my manager. You know, he, he had a lot more experience coming into IT than I did because I came from an education background. And uh, I learned a ton from, from working for him and with him, had the opportunity to work on a number of projects that we completed together. And honestly, for the size of our department during the time that we worked there, we did some pretty Maverick stuff, John. Whether we had it planned perfectly or we were shooting from the hip, we, it's amazing when I look back and think of the milestones we accomplished together while we were there. And you know, on a quiet day when I sit here in my home office, I can still hear the Logitech keyboard humming in the cubicle next to me as Tom Delicati rocks a keyboard while writing ASP code faster than any human being I've ever seen. So uh, he, I've, I've never seen anybody write code that fast, but he could do it. He's a cool dude. So Tom Delicati, the man, the myth, the legend.
2: <laughs> Thank you for that, Nick. Yeah, I don't know uh, if that's something to be proud of or, sh- or ashamed of, but yes, I still have many uh, a Logitech Wave keyboards at my disposal here. I actually have a, a three-keyboard system, one that stays here in the house, one that travels with me, and one in a box. So when I turn, when I cycle them down, I'm ready for the next one.
0: Nice, nice. Tom, can you give us some background on uh what it is it you do today? Uh we'll maybe get to um your career origins, but um what is it that you do today?
2: I'm currently the uh founder, president, CEO, whatever you want to call it, of a company called Lead Technology Solutions. That's L-E-A-D, for those of you who uh, need it spelled out. But uh I started the business about two years ago as a consulting firm. We offer a variety of services mainly geared around uh, kind of getting the most out of your ERP or enterprise software solution that you already own. Um, you know how do we work with our clients to improve their experience to uh, you know help them work smarter, not harder, and get the most out of their investment that they've already done. Um, we also have a branch that works. Uh, on implementations and upgrades we have a focus in uh, product development as well so we do a lot of customization work and custom application design and web development for our clients as well
0: oh okay very cool so you didn't just uh get into it as a business owner can you tell us a little bit about your origins uh how you got into technology and it in the first place
2: certainly Um uh, when I was a young boy in Madison Heights, Michigan, I now <laughs> i uh, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I became a uh, just really fascinated with it at the very early stages of kind of the World Wide Web and when AOL was you know getting fifty free hours of CDs in the mail. Um, actually, even before that, I was about twelve years old and helped build our family's first personal computer i talked my dad into letting us buy all the components and put it all together and uh the personal computer that stayed in our living room for the next five years we we built and that just absolutely fascinated me um my career or you know my mindset meandered a little bit through my teenage years but right around 16 17 the uh web was starting to to really come to life um right around the late 90s and uh I got a I got a GeoCities page of my own and I did a little bit of web development on GeoCities um just to kind of get my feet wet and realize you know hey this is something that's really cool and it doesn't seem that difficult you know I kind of get it um and so I wanted to explore that a little bit more I wound up going to college for um information systems through the College of Business at the university I went to, Western Michigan. And in the uh, business college, you have to minor in general business as well. So I got all the marketing, accounting, finance, management classes associated with that. Um, I also had a focus in telecom management because I was really fascinated by the inner workings of of network connectivity. I got a a CCNA certification when I was 18. Uh, Didn't do anything with it, but it was really fun to go after and get So I had a little piece of networking. I had a little piece of web development. I was really fascinated by kind of the server infrastructure uh, associated with kind of the interconnectivity of of the world at that time. So I still kind of scratched that itch uh, during my college years. I was doing a little bit of web development for student organizations and kind of applying what I was learning in the classroom into solving real world problems, however small they may be. But uh, after I graduated, I started work kind of going the traditional IT path. Infrastructure, uh, you know, I wanted to be an IT administrator or a system admin for a small company. I actually worked uh, as a web developer right out of college for a year in application development. Then we moved. I started as a system administrator slash developer and then took a role at a company up in Indiana that was in manufacturing. And that was my first real experience with an enterprise software. Uh, every other place I had worked or, or spent time with was just living out of Word, Excel, um, PDFs, just a lot of not nothing database driven, really. And so as I, I took that first experience with an enterprise software, I was really just kind of thrust into it. It was myself and a... IT intern running the IT infrastructure and the ERP software platform for a $40 million annual revenue company. And in my world, that was kind of a big deal because we were responsible for everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I started learning as much as I possibly could about that software at the time. It was called Epicor. Um, in, in, mm-hmm. in that time and day, it was their product called Vantage. Uh, which is now graduated to Epicor ERP. And they're kind of in that second tier, really geared towards manufacturers, right underneath SAP, Oracle, uh, Dynamics. They're kind of in the tier right below them. Um, But uh,
0: go ahead. This was your first, you're saying this was your first exposure to kind of a major business application that was database-backed and had maybe multiple users, kind of client-server, and um, kind of exposing the, the business rules um, as an abstraction above a, above a database in and, and your interaction with that. Correct.
2: And not only was it my first interaction, but I was looked at to very quickly become the expert. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of people in the organization who knew the back end or could leverage their technology background. There were a lot of people in the organization who knew how to use the software, how to get it to do what they wanted to do. But they were relying on someone like me to learn as much as I could, as fast as I could and become a subject matter expert on how it all worked together. They knew their piece. They didn't necessarily know how it connected to everybody else in the business.
0: Got it. Got it. So it was that underlying infrastructure piece, Um, but it also sounds like you needed to learn a little bit about the business rules and the business on top of it, too.
2: Yeah. And, and I would just say learning about business in general, not even the business, but business in general, understanding the ideas behind or, or the inner workings behind fulfilling sales orders. You know, it was a manufacturing environment. So we actually made things. Our customers ordered something, we made it physically, and we shipped it to them and the, the order taking, the manufacturing process to, to give the users on the shop floor the instructions they needed to build it the right way. And then uh, having it pass quality inspections and getting it to the back door, packaging it correctly, shipping it correctly, invoicing the customer, receiving a payment for the invoice. All of that interconnectivity was foreign to me at that time. And uh, honestly, it was just, like I said, kind of business 101, especially from a manufacturing standpoint. It wasn't even about learning about the way they did it. It was learning about a way to do it or, you know, an, a very, very normal way to do it.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's so interesting because that was actually my kind of first enterprise IT job as well. I, I got hired on to... Um, basically find a replacement for, uh, an ERP solution for a company because they had something that was based on AS 400 and it was homegrown, not Y2K compliant. This was about 98. And so I, I carried out a, like a year long search for a replacement. This was a wholesale distributor. Um, so no manufacturing module, but you know, that front end, you know, order taking, um, back end accounting, invoicing, um, pick pack ship, uh, you know, very, very familiar, and and you're right. It's interesting that in an IT role, you expect to be dealing with like networking and and compute infrastructure and storage, or you know, even you know maybe wireless networking. But instead, you have to understand what's going on with the whole business, like the integrated business, um, like a cash to cash process, right? Um, uh, and, you know, vague understanding of accounting and, and even, you know, sometimes like how the database is structured and and the tables and and how the links are made so that you can do effective queries because you end up being like a, a business analyst too. So um, very
2: familiar with everything you're talking about. That was a lot that uh, just kind of falls into your lap if you're in that role. And, and I, on top of what you just said, it, it, we were in an environment where it was very interconnected, from a networking standpoint to the machines themselves, you know, getting programs from the network, ensuring that the CNC uh, connections were there so that the machines could actually build the parts accordingly based on the programs they were pulling from the network and the resources they had available. So yeah, we were, we were troubleshooters, not just for the infrastructure. We were troubleshooters for, the business and and became report writers and business analysts, business intelligence folks, uh, just trying to better understand how they built what they did and what information was important to them to make key business decisions moving forward.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So, you know, one thing that Nick and I kind of do when we have these discussions is kind of focus in on some of these transitions. So you mentioned a move and taking on a new role. Can you talk about that move, was were you moving to take the role? Did you just have a family move and, and happen to find a new position? Um, and what was that process like?
2: Sure. Well, I can, I can speak more clearly about that uh, when it involved the move down here to Texas. Uh, so we were in Indiana at the time. I was gaining all of this experience about uh, the ERP software and learning all the ins and outs of how a manufacturing business works. And I kind of fell in love with it, Uh, maybe not the business itself, but the theory and the practice behind what it takes to really leverage and manage that uh, or leverage the the background with technology and and apply it and manage a a somewhat archaic manufacturing process. And so it was the summer, fall of 2008 where my wife and I, we had no kids at the time, um, we had an opportunity to do a job search. We were in a relatively small town and, uh, my wife was working for a university at the time in a pretty specialized role to where not every college even had this department. And when they did, it was not a whole lot of openings. So when we were looking to make that transition and, and leave where we were, we kind of just, opened up our arms and said, we'll go pretty much anywhere. You know, we kind of have an idea of where we'd like to be in terms of, you know, some of the key factors of we were going to start a family soon. Um, so we needed to be in a place that was good to raise a family. We wanted to look in places that would be opportunistic for me to find a position because I basically said, we're going to move for you. You know, this, this is a, an opportunity for you to take a step in your career and, Uh, I'm going to find something for sure. And, uh, when we decided to move to Texas, uh, the, the stars aligned, (laughs) um, my wife decided to take a job down here in, uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And once she made that decision, we, it was, uh, all of this happened in a span of about a week. Uh, We made the decision that we're going to go to North Texas I scoured the internet for other Epicor users in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and just threw out a couple of networking letters with my resume saying I plan to move to the area. I've been doing a lot of work with Epicor, very involved in the user community in uh, where we had previously come from. And uh, do you have any opportunities for someone with, with my skill set? And long story short is we came down to Texas to find a place to live. And uh, I had an interview at one place that responded to my networking letters Had a uh, what seemed to be unconventional at the time. You know, I I was still relatively new in my career, maybe four or five years out of college, Um, had a few jobs, but I was very used to interviews taking 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And they had me on site for a four and a half hour interview where I met with every one of the vice presidents and the president and was grilled up and down by each one of them. And, uh, I walked out of that office just overwhelmed with, uh, I I wouldn't say stress, but just kind of the relief of, wow, that was, I was just put through the ringer and, um, we were driving up to have dinner with my wife's new boss and I got a call on my cell phone from the president saying, we're going to extend you an offer by middle of next week. Wow. And that's where I wound up and that's where I spent eight years and that's where I got to know Nick. And that transition uh, was probably the biggest blessing of my life.
0: So there's a couple things that you said there that I thought were just kind of like nuggets of gold. One is that you were, um, you got some in-depth knowledge into a specialized system. It wasn't the totality of your knowledge, but you you got pretty uh, deep into Epicor. Two, you got involved in the user community for Epicor so that when you were um, looking around for a position, so this is going to be the third one, you went to the user community, uh, the list of people who use the software and just kind of blindly sent your resume out and said, Hey, I'm super involved. I happen to be making a move. Uh, these are my skills and my background. Um, do you have a position for somebody like me? And that is kind of, uh, unconventional doing like a blind approach. So I'm really curious, uh, Nick, I don't know if you've ever even heard of this, uh, this tactic, I, you know, Tom, I'm really interested to find out like what, where, where you came up with this tactic, like, uh, It's just not something I've ever heard of before.
1: I feel like I've heard about something similar, John. There was a post in the Spiceworks community a while back by a guy named B. Bigford, who essentially went door knocking to find a new job. And that's kind of what this situation reminded me of, though maybe not exactly the same as what Tom did. That's that's what comes to mind.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you're talking about like a shotgun methodology. And this seems to be a little bit more sniping, right? I have these specialized skills this is a list of companies that I already know could, you know, make use of skills like mine. And, and now I'm going to go out and approach them and let them know that I'm in the market. Um, So I'll let you answer, Tom, you know, Nick and I can just go back and forth for for 20 minutes, but, uh, but where did you actually come up with this idea?
2: Well, before I get to that uh, I wanted to peel it back just a little bit up to when I first started uh, at the business where we were running that Epicor ERP platform. You know, I, me- I mentioned it earlier that I, I kind of had a, a, a an instance where I fell in love and it was with manufacturing in general. I didn't go to school to learn about how to manage anything in manufacturing. I didn't uh, have formal training in you know, how to, how to think like an engineer or anything like that. And when I came out of school and when I was looking and and kind of job hopping prior to that move, I feel like I was still looking for something that I was really passionate about. And I had made some choices and I had, I'd worked at some places that were very, very beneficial for my career. I still remember every bit of it, um, the things that I wanted to take away from those experiences and the, the relationships I had. and uh, But when I finally found something that I was passionate about, I realized that I could really take my career the direction that I wanted to go at that time. And I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. It, it wasn't even about the direction that I wanted to go. It was I found something that I'm passionate about and I want to keep exploring this.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and so when we decided to make that transition, I knew that I was passionate about it. Uh, and, and again, even that's just slightly before that getting involved in the user community, again, I had found that passion area and it was, how do I continue to develop this? I, I, I don't, I don't get enough of it all day, every day at work. I want more. I want to figure out how to be a subject matter expert in this. I want people to be able to come to me with complex problems that I can develop solutions around. I want to be able to, to think like a problem solver in a business, not just from an IT perspective. And if technology is the right way to to leverage to, to solve it, I'm all for it. But it doesn't always have to be the way to do it. Um, and so I just started thinking like that. And as we made that transition to to move to Texas, that was the first thing I did. I, I, I decided I need to find other people who run Epicor in Texas because I'm not connected to any of them. And there's a, a a list of companies that run it. If they're members of the uh, national user group, they pay their dues, they're, they're members. And so we had access to that. And I just started looking in Dallas, Fort Worth. And I think I picked out there were probably eight or 10 who, who looked interesting, but I only sent networking letters and, and resumes to four. And it was because I had done research on all 10 of them. And I really didn't see myself fitting in well at six of them. And I was, hmm. I was eliminating those right from the get go or, or not even eliminating. I was saying that'll be my second wave. You know, if I don't get any bites from this first group, that'll be my second wave of what I address. And, I spoke a little bit about my wife and working for a university and um, she actually worked in uh, career services at the university level. So she was helping get companies recruiting on campus. She was helping students prepare for going out into the real world. So the, the tagline that I would use during interviews uh, during that period was you know, the good thing about my job search is that I have access to a career advisor 24 seven. The bad thing about this job search is that I live with a career advisor 24 seven. Oh yeah. And so it was a challenge as well as, like I said, a blessing because she really drove that whole methodology of how do you go and find someone that you want to go work for? And it wasn't a, a situation where I was scouring, uh, you know, at the time career builder or monster to find a job to do it was, I wanted to find a place to work for and see if they had a fit for someone like me and where I wound up, there was no job posting. There was no position that they were trying to fill. They just saw an opportunity where they could benefit from working with someone like me. And they took a chance.
0: That's it's so fascinating because Um, I would say in my experience, uh, or at least in the, in the frame of reference where, you know, where I live, I wouldn't even think to apply or send a resume to a place that did not have a job posting. But in my position as, you know, a solution engineer, I would, you know, strongly advise all of my customers that if they had, you know, came across talent that they just couldn't let get away. That they need to have a contingency, you know, or a process halfway, you know, set up already, so that you know, if that if that uh, that person shows up at the door, you know, we need to have a way to open that door, um, because you know, those people aren't you know, just easy easy to find. Like your hardest to find it and technology skills. Like you you need to have a way to to quickly gobble those people up. So, interesting, interesting. But then, uh, so you're saying that the, the idea of that tactic came from your wife. Or or are you not saying Absolutely. that?
2: Absolutely. She's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Babe, if you're listening, I love you so much.
0: <laughs> you, Tom, you actually mentioned something else there. Like, you keep on having these asides, which I think are... You know, just really amazing, and I'm glad that they are coming up. But you you mentioned this idea of looking for a place that you would like to work, um, and, and having like a a way to discover those companies. So, there obviously you came up with some kind of criteria, some kind of methodology that helped you eliminate. I think you said six out of the ten companies that that were on the list. Uh, right away or at least tag them for for second wave um, you know networking notes as opposed to first wave do you mind sharing like how it doesn't matter maybe what your actual uh, cr- what your criteria was or what that methodology was but but how you came up with it you know that process like did you have a discussion with your wife again and saying well actually what I want is this um, did you have like a career coach that that you talked to what was that process like
2: yeah if if at that point in my life I had a career coach other than my wife, I'd have some serious problems at home. But uh, <laughs> no, she, she was definitely uh, with me hand in hand on that process. And because I didn't completely know what I was doing, I just knew that the four that I sent things to uh, had separated themselves from the others and a lot of that it's it's not that i found red flags with the other 6 that i just was like i'm not i'm not going down that path right now it was more or less these four stand out as places that i would see myself fitting in um one was the type of business they were you know they were all manufacturers to some degree but was the process interesting was the product interesting was the environment going to intrigue me? Uh, would I feel stale after a little while? Could I see myself getting bored? Um, another piece was geography. You know, we're in the Dallas Fort Worth area here and knowing where my wife was going to wind up, I didn't want to find some place that was on the completely other side of town that I was going to commute for an hour one way each day. So even though I might've found something cool, uh, it, it was a detractor to know that I would be spending two, two and a half hours in the car every day. Um, so, you know, some of it was logistics. Uh, others were, is is it going to really fire my engine? Am I going to be passionate about working here? And number three, I would say the biggest of all is, what could I find online at the time about the culture? What could I find about what people were saying about it? Because in, in 2008, there wasn't the level of contribution to the internet that there is today in terms of reviews and getting people's opinions on businesses. You know, the the, really the only thing we had at the time was better business bureau type stuff. And so I just, I tried to apply myself as much as possible when I wasn't at work and when when I wasn't packing up our house, I was scouring the internet for more details about some of these companies that I was interested in sending my my stuff to. Um, another piece of it, too, is that I really do, did want to start small with, uh, you know, a, a small number of companies because I wanted to show that I had put in effort in learning about them when I sent that networking letter and when I sent my resume, that I was knowledgeable about who they were. And you just can't do that with a dozen places. You know, I just don't have the time and energy or resources to, to focus that kind of energy and effort. And so I really just wanted to pick a few dive deep and then send my information onto them and show them that I was a a very qualified and interested and interesting
0: candidate. So from that, that process, yeah, that, that really is awesome. How many, um, was it, was it just the one place that responded to you um, or were there more than one out of the four?
2: I actually got responses from two out of the four. Um, but just like anything with, with job searching, it's all about the candidate being persistent. So once I started to get some feedback from the first two, uh, I didn't really have the pedal to the metal that much on the other two. And if I would have, I'm I'm certain that I would have got some response back. But, you know, it was those circumstances as well. Like I, I sent my resume and, and networking letter out to four places and none of them had jobs posted. Like they weren't right. looking for me. I was looking for them. And the odds of having at even just one of them respond about anything, regardless if it was interest in me or just letting me know, you know, that not the right time the odds of that happening were slim to none.
0: But you got 50%. <laughs> but, Nick, is is yeah. that?
2: <laughs> I mean, like I said, the the stars kind of aligned with that transition from where we were to, to where we wound up.
0: Nick, is this a story that you had heard before? Actually, I don't think I have. You know, when I
1: think about it from my point of view, what happened was one day my boss at the time, the... VP of finance calls me into his office and says, Hey, we've hired this guy named Tom Delicati. I need you to work with him on getting him the right hardware for his computer. He starts on this date. And I thought I remembered something about, you know, Tom kind of coming in without there being a position created. But what's interesting even more than that is before I started, there was really no in-house IT department. We relied on a consulting firm and a a couple of VPs sharing the IT responsibilities. So I came in and shouldered some of that, but we did not have a real big Epicor expertise in house until Tom came along. And, you know, thinking about it now, I'm, I'm wondering, Tom, was there any kind of job description that, that they helped to develop after they talked to you or that you helped them develop? What, what was that like?
2: Well, not stepping into a role that somebody previously did um, or, you know, stepping into a, a new role that really had no structure or they were working to create that. Um, I think there was something laid out, uh, pretty early on in terms of expectations, um, or responsibilities, maybe that's a better way to say it, but I think they saw it as a, a valve. Like you mentioned, Nick, before you, it was two executives running the IT department. And I think they saw this as an opportunity to be able to offload the majority of that infrastructure management, the help desk side of things. And at the same time, they were getting the added bonus of we had, they had just installed this Epicor software within the last year and were still kind of fumbling their way through it. And now we have an opportunity to bring somebody in who knows a heck of a lot more than any of us do. And we can rely on them as a subject matter expert, I think they just saw it as a checking multiple boxes uh, for some of the pain points in their organization and what it turned into like I said you know they they took a chance but what it turned into was it, it was quickly more of a collaboration on uh, and, and valuing my opinion on what need what needed to happen for the organization and what I should be responsible for what I can help this uh Position become, and very quickly it, it, you know, you were there, Nick. It morphed into um, kind of the the birth of the IT department at that company.
0: That's a really good story. Uh, that's a, that's a really great outcome, actually, from that from that situation. I, I wonder, from your perspective now as an entrepreneur, the kind of will and vision that it actually takes from the executive standpoint to be willing and open to consider this type of uh I, it's almost like a blind proposal right like if somebody's trying to sell you something but what they're trying to sell you is the idea of them as an employee um at your organization um is that is that a lesson that you've you've learned or something that you've taken away and gone, Oh, you know, here, here's a lesson in in something that, that I can, you know, use in my day to day.
2: Certainly. And, And you touched on the point earlier about when that talent comes past your door, are you willing to open it for them? Are you willing to, and sometimes it takes a, a sacrifice either with time or financially within the business to, to say, is it, is it worth the risk at this time? What's the, likely return on investment of taking a, a little bit of a leap of faith. But I also don't believe that they, uh, it's not like they didn't vet me as a, a a possible candidate. I mean, I, I went through a serious interview with them in that afternoon and uh, I think one, I met with everyone independently. And then I think once they got their heads together, they just realized I fit the culture well enough. there's not a whole lot of risk here. Uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I don't think uh I don't think anybody had any reservations at that time. so during that interview process, obviously I did sell myself well enough for them to take a risk, but uh I also saw it as you know I think they saw it from their perspective as low risk, high reward, and being on the flip side of that now uh, when I'm looking at People that I want to work with or that I want to bring into our organization, I, I measure it very much the same way. You know, what am I what am I laying down to get this person here? But what's the potential upside? And it really involves a uh, methodical and, and considerable vetting process to figure out um, who's going to fit best in in what we're looking to accomplish as a business, not just looking to accomplish as a particular role on an organizational chart, but is this person going to contribute to the overall goals of the business? And now that I'm working in the consulting world, um, a huge factor in that, not that it wouldn't be uh, something that mattered in any environment, but a huge factor in the consulting business is trust. Trust. I have to be able to know with a certain level of confidence that I can put somebody in front of a client that uh, I can kind of let them loose and manage their own workload and not have to, to sit on top of them and make sure that projects are getting done or that communication is happening. We have to be able to trust. And that's always been a, a huge piece of my, my, I guess you would call it a management style, but, uh, it's really just more of a piece of my interpersonal style. It's that if we're going to work together, we're all going to carry our weight. I, I'm not going to ensure that things are getting done. I might ask from time to time, "Hey, what's going on?" or "Can you fill me in?" But I'm I'm very much a uh, you know Nick mentioned it earlier. I'm, I'm kind of a shoot from the hip kind of guy. That doesn't mean that I don't care about the outcome. That doesn't mean that have a, a vested interest in the finished product. And so I have to uh, kind of marry both of those thought processes uh, together to be able to move fast, to be nimble, to, to be flexible, while at the same time ensuring that uh, you know, our end customer or our employees uh, are getting the best return.
0: Well, Nick, I think that seems to be like a natural breaking point for this episode. I do want to say that I went back and read the Spiceworks uh, Cold Calling for Jobs post that you mentioned. It's definitely worth a read. Um, and it, it read a little bit more like what Tom was talking about um, rather than my initial impression, which was just kind of walking around, <laughs> walking into places and, and applying for jobs. Uh, the author visited areas of a new town um, and then collected data on what businesses were around and then went back and did research on which ones he was going to target for applications. Um, Anything else pop into your mind before we uh, break the episode? Just some
1: additional context there. Uh, The gentleman who wrote the post, B. Bigford is his community name in the Spiceworks community. He actually applied this type of methodology after being let go at at a position. And instead of going home with all of his stuff from his desk, he started pounding the pavement and getting after it. So he decided to write up a prescriptive methodology for people to look at. I, I would take a, a look at it because it's it's very good stuff. And I will say, though this is a natural breaking point, it doesn't have to be a breaking point for you because you can sign up for the John White School of Mentoring today. Don't think that you have to wait till the next episode, folks. You can tweet or DM at NerdJourney, and I will hook you up with pricing and packaging information on that. However, we definitely want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. (laughs)
0: Uh-huh. All right. Farewell, listeners. Uh, Tune in next time as the journey continues. We'll be back next week with part two of the Tom Delicati interview and uh, get into his entrepreneurial journey. I'm John White at V Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd Underscore, signing off. Adios.